Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Would you continue your Bibles to the book of Acts? That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's in the New Testament. And Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, <laughs> while you find your place, let me tell you a story about Auntie Liesel. <laughs> um, about two weeks ago, I, I preached at Haven Village, and uh, um, my wife is always with me when I preach, and she was sitting in the second row, and uh, I, I got going, I, I read from Psalm, uh, actually it was from James chapter 5 verse 7 to 11, I, I read the passage and I was preaching and I was in my third point and I was, I was soaring and my wife was going like this. And uh, man, I'm obedient, <laughs> submissive, no, <laughs> but uh, I, I brought, the, I brought the, the message to a, a rather quickened end, I'd figured I must have been going on too long, or maybe I'd said something inappropriate, I wasn't too sure. Anyway, we had the benediction, and then afterwards, as we were walking out, we get in the car, I say, Liesl, what, what happened? I mean, you were, you were telling me to stop. She said, no, I was just playing with my necklace. <laughs> so Liesl's not here. I assume she's gotten um, delayed at, uh, at the hill. So somebody in the front row, if I'm going on too long, okay, just, uh, you know what the sign is. <laughs> we come now to the reading and the teaching of God's word. This is the high point of our worship service. This is part of your worship to Almighty God as you now have attentive minds to what God is saying into your lives. And as we ask his spirit to transform us from one degree of glory to the next, let's worship together by praying to start. Father God, your word says that all men are like grass and their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of God endures forever. Upon your word this morning, Lord God, we would stand. Your word which is faithful and true without error. Your word which is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. Would you teach us from your word? Would your spirit renew our minds? Would your spirit stir our hearts? Lord God, would your spirit call on our wills? Change us, transform us from one degree of glory to the next. That Jesus Christ might be praised by this people. We ask this for your glory's sake. In the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, I'm going to read to us from the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning at the 19th verse. At this stage, I'm going to ask all who are able to please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Please stand. Acts 
Friends, hear the word of God. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Vance Havner was a popular evangelist in the last century. He once said, this is a quote, mark it, evangelism is to Christianity what veins are to our bodies. You can cut Christianity anywhere and it will bleed. You can cut Christianity anywhere and it will bleed. Is that true? You who profess the name of Christ, you who claim to be Christian, if cut, would you bleed evangelism? Are you about the evangelization of your family, of your friends, of your co-workers? Or are your evangelistic efforts no more than praying from time to time for their salvation, hoping that God will send somebody else to share the gospel message with them? Well, let me tell you what I think. Franz Havner's quote is true. Cut Christianity anywhere and it'll bleed evangelism. But its truthfulness hinges off the words cut and bleed. It seems to me that the church is at its most evangelistic when it is at its most vulnerable. It's in times of persecution that the church evangelizes. Now this idea of Christianity cut and bleeding evangelism wasn't Vance Havner's. The idea was Jesus Christ's. He said as much to his disciples before ascending into heaven. You may remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, the word uh, says, you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. The word witness translates the Greek word martes. Martes is where we get the English word martyr from. So many early witnesses were martyred that witness and martyr became synonyms for one another. Cut Christianity anywhere and it'll bleed evangelism. Friends, that's what's happening in Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Christianity had been cut and was bleeding evangelism. Read with me in your own Bibles. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. In order to understand this verse, we have to go back a little bit to Acts chapter 6 and 7, which tell Stephen's story, Christianity's first martyr. He had proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews, and they had stoned him to death in a fit of rage. In Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we read the following, and then arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Of those scattered, some arrived in Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria is the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this stage in history. And it is a cosmopolitan mix of people, of, of cultures, of religions from right across the Roman Empire. And those scattered were on a mission. They shared their faith. They evangelized the lost. They called in the whosoever will. Not quite the whosoever. You'll note in the text that they only spoke the word to no one except the Jews. Their evangelistic efforts were somewhat limited. It was limited to people who looked like them and thought like them and spoke like them. But God's plan was always bigger than just the children of Abraham. The church was to be more than just the Jewish nation. The promise is for those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, amen, from all people and tribes and languages. Amen. Hallelujah. Because that's all of us that are in the building today. Since Acts 8, 
the narrative was hinting that something more is coming. There's already been shadows of God's intent. Now, you might want to follow this in your Bibles as we go through a little bit of the backstory. The backstory, like Philip, the evangelist, you can find his story from Acts chapter 8, verse 5. He had gone down into the city of Samaria. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they had intermarried foreigners and adopted their idolatrous practices. Philip had proclaimed Christ to them. And many believed. And when he returned to Jerusalem, he had preached the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. You might remember he had even led an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. All shadows of God's intent. God is about to do something bigger. Another example, like Peter the Apostle. He had had a a vision while praying on a rooftop. You can find his story in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 9. He had seen animals lowered on something like a sheet. The three times a voice from heaven had told him to kill the animals and eat them, some of which were unclean, penguin, and porpoise. But before he had the chance to figure out what it all meant, Cornelius, a centurion, a Gentile, summoned him. Turns out that Cornelius had had a vision too. And so Peter came to understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. What follows in the text in chapter 8 is the salvation of Cornelius and those gathered in his home, and later an acknowledgement of the Jerusalem church that God has granted repentance that leads to life to the Gentiles. A shadow of something that God is about to do. The early Jerusalem church seems from this text to have been comfortable accepting half-Jewish Samaritans. They seem to be comfortable even accepting God-fearing Gentiles, but they weren't in a place yet where they were willing to take the faith to the Gentiles. And so God raises up a new breed of evangelists. Follow with me in your text. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. We need men like this. Men willing to cross the line. More bold men. More men who chase after the heart of God. More men who aren't constrained by the traditions of man. More men that will speak to Hellenists also. You're wondering who the Hellenists are. Friends, they're people like us. They're people who weren't born into the Jewish race. They are Greeks. They are non-Hebrew speaking Gentiles. The men of Cyprus and Cyrene were speaking to people like us about Jesus Christ. They crossed the line. And with good cause. Because Jesus had commanded his church to cross the line. The Great Commission 
is to go and make disciples of all nations, cross lines, make disciples of people in Tajikistan, cross lines, make disciples of people in Ecuador, cross lines, make disciples of people in Japan, cross lines, Make disciples of people in the 1040 window. Cross lines. Make disciples of people in Pretoria. Cross lines. Make disciples of all nations. These bold men caught the vision of God and were on the mission of God. And they started speaking to people that weren't like them about the good news of the gospel, and they ended up capturing the whole city for Christ. My favorite ancient preacher is Chrysostom. He lived around 400 AD. In a sermon on the gospel of Matthew, he says that in his own time, there were 100,000 Christians in Antioch. At the time of writing, The population of the city had shrunk to around 150,000. So two-thirds of the city was professing Christians. And that started with a few bold evangelists who captured the city for Christ. 67% of South Africans live in city. Our city, Pretoria is the executive capital. It covers 6,298 square kilometers. And it stretches almost 121 kilometers east to west and 108 kilometers north to south. It has a population density of 579 people per square kilometer. The population stands at about 3,649,053. I nearly was the state president there. Listen carefully now. 16.8% live in informal housing. 31.3% live on less than 1,077 rand a month. 29.1% is unemployed. Here's the point of the stats. 100% of us need Jesus. Pretoria needs Jesus. That's why we exist. That's our task at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. That's our mission. We are here to capture Pretoria for Christ. Our mission field lies before us. Will you accept the commission? Will you go on mission? Do you want to know how they did it? (laughs) Of course you want to know how they did it. Do you want to know how they captured Antioch for Christ? Because it has direct application on how we will go about capturing Pretoria for Christ. It's so simple. So very basic. They preached. They encouraged They taught. That's it. (laughs) First, the church in Antioch grew through preaching. Read in your text together with me. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke 
to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. First, they were speaking. The verb here is imperfect. It represents a continual or repeated action. They met, and I assume befriended, and spoke to folk that were different to them. This wasn't impersonal. It wasn't like handing out tracks in the park, although there is a time and a place for that. This was relational. It went on and on like friendships do. They spoke to the Gentiles that they encountered in everyday life. Are you intentional about befriending people in our city? I'm glad. (laughs) That's a good start, but we're not quite there yet. Second, they preached the Lord Jesus Christ to their Gentile friends. Now, I don't imagine that they invited them to come over to their home for supper. And then after supper, they they stood at the dining room table and thumped them with the Bible. (laughs) That would be a little weird. That would be a little odd. I imagine that they invited their Gentile friends to gatherings from time to time. Lord's Day gatherings. Church services like this, where they heard the preaching of God's word. Are you inviting your family and your friends and your co-workers and the people that you love to church? To preach, what I'm doing now is to evangelize. If there's no Christ in your sermon, go home. To preach is to evangelize. The words are synonymous. The word preach translates the Greek word euangelizo. Euangelizo is a compound of two Greek words. The first word you means good. And the second word angelizo means message. To preach is to bring the good message or the good news to your audience. The Greek word gives us our English word, evangelize. To preach is to evangelize. Preaching is to be jam-packed with good news. Good news of Jesus' death as a substitute for our sins. Good news of Jesus' resurrection in victory over death. If there was no Jesus in the preach, there was no preach. Jesus must be the center. And so biblical preaching can't be boring, dusty, theologically dry facts. Biblical preaching must be life-giving. Biblical preaching must be joyful. Biblical preaching must be spirit-fueled. Biblical preaching must be God-glorifying. Biblical preaching must be good news. In our text, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Biblical preaching, good news preaching, the kind of preaching that the Lord uses, the kind of preaching that the Lord uses is this kind of preaching. And that's because the kind of preaching that you need to run toward Because there's preaching like that where you're likely to see God's hand move. The hand of God was with them. God moved and 
many repented, a great number. The church grew, praise the Lord. To turn in our text is to respond to the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It is that Jesus died and that Jesus rose. It's that simple. It's, it's that straightforward. You can explain it. You can clarify it. You can expand upon it. You can expound it. You can tease it out. But at its essence, the gospel message is about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you might accept that message is true and yet not be saved. Listen carefully. If you have not yet responded personally to Christ in repentance and faith, when people come to salvation, they respond to a personal invitation from Christ. Even now, hear his voice. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins might be blotted out. Turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God that you might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among all who have been sanctified by the faith. The gates of heaven are swung open wide to receive you. Are you black? Are you white? Are you young? Are you poor? Are you old? Are you rich? Have you been a Pharisee all your life or have you been a sinful wretch? The promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, repent. Turn at once. Do not delay. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus Christ and live. First, the church in Antioch grew through preaching. Second, the church in Antioch grew through encouragement. Read with me in the text. The report of this revival, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Everyone wants to catch revival. The church in Jerusalem gets wind of what's going on in Antioch and they send a delegation to investigate. Their representative is Barnabas. You might remember Barnabas from a previous sermon. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He had sold a field that belonged to him and he had bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is the one who took Saul to the apostles and declared to them his salvation testimony. Barnabas is known to us as the son of encouragement. But this time, 
is the recipient of encouragement. When he saw the revival in the city of Antioch, Barnabas rejoiced. Are you a visitor here this morning, new or old? Did you enter the the service today expectant, desiring to see evidence of God's grace on display? Or did you come with a critical spirit, looking for flaws, imperfections, things with which you might be able to take issue? Those are there, (laughs) I've no doubt. But oh, may God give you a Barnabas spirit, one which even today witnesses the grace of God in this place. And he exhorted and he encouraged the believers. Now this is fascinating. Exhort in Acts chapter 11 verse 23 is the same word in verb form as the noun describing Barnabas as the son of encouragement in Acts chapter 4 verse 36. Barnabas, the encourager, encouraged the new Gentile believers in Antioch. And the verb is in the imperfect tense. And so the implication is that he encouraged them and encouraged them and encouraged them. Chuck Swindoll observes that encouragement is what new Christians need. Barnabas didn't draw out a list of do's and don'ts and mark up a local map with places to avoid around Antioch. (laughs) He encouraged. He came alongside of them and provided counsel and courage and comfort and hope and positive perspective. Like an athletic coach, an encourager challenges without condemning. He instructs without lecturing. He inspires without condescending. And he helps the other towards excellence. Barnabas encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord. Revival may come and go. The danger is that the fire in your heart right now might die down too over time. And so Barnabas' encouragement was well aimed at their hearts. Now is not the time to encourage these baby saints to form committees, to plan budgets, to hire staff, to set programs, or to bring in outside speakers. No, now is the time to encourage them to cling to Jesus Christ. Cling to Jesus. What about you? Do you need encouragement? A reminder to cling to Jesus. A reminder to remain faithful to the Lord. A call to return to your first love. A reminder of his beauty and his splendor and his majesty that you gazed upon when you were first saved. Maybe sin has diverted your gaze from the Savior. Maybe the cares of this world have shifted what you are looking at. It makes no difference the cause, only the remedy. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And a great many people were added. Can you believe it? All he's doing is encouraging. 
and a great many people were added. New additions to the body of Christ. Besides the great number who had believed and turned to the Lord in verse 21. The church is growing and growing and growing. And the adding here is in the passive voice. Now this means that it's a supernatural adding. The Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. Amen. The first church in Antioch grew through preaching. Secondly, the church in Antioch grew through encouragement. And third, the church in Antioch grew through teaching. Read with me in your text. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch. Chuck Swindoll again writes on this verse, Barnabas was humble and wise. Humble enough to recognize his limitations, wise enough to seek the best man to assist him in these responsibilities. Note that he, he didn't send to Jerusalem for Hebrew scholars. No, he went in the opposite direction, 100 miles, to find the man that God had set apart to minister to the Gentiles. Barnabas had no desire to star in a one-man show. No, he believed in the plurality of leaders. He wanted the best man to assist him, so he went outside the local church to hunt him down. And when he arrived in the city, that's Saul, Barnabas immediately set Saul to work at teaching. This would have been systematic teaching, systematic training. Not very different to what we do during family Bible hours, not very different to what we do during midweek small group Bible studies, not very different to what we do when we work verse by verse, preaching book by book. On Sunday mornings. And the result? A great many people were taught in Antioch. The church in Antioch grows. And it grows in number. And it grows in maturity. And it doesn't take smoke machines, electric guitars, and strange lighting. With big stages and crazy bands and dancing and jumping. It takes teaching and encouragement and preaching. And a shift starts to happen. The, the center of Christianity starts to move from Jerusalem to Antioch. First, the church in Antioch grew through preaching. Second, the church in Antioch grew through encouragement. Third, the church in Antioch grew through teaching. Now consider our text. Can you see the repetition in it? Can you see the repetition in verse 26, verse 24, and verse 21? Saul taught a great number of people. Barnabas encouraged a great many people. The men of Cyprus and Cyrene had preached to a great number of people. Great many people. A great number of people. Great is the repeated refrain. It's a refrain of triumph. It's a refrain of victory. Luke is getting excited about church growth. The church in Antioch grew. 
church growth is not a dirty word or something that we should be wary of. Church growth is something that we should expect as Jesus promised he would build his church. And how did the church grow? The church grew because preachers preached, encouragers encouraged, and teachers taught. Preachers, encouragers, teachers. Spiritual leaders emerged. Some were iterant. They held no title, no rank. They had no office in the church, but they functioned as evangelists. Some were vocational, called by the local church to pastor the local church. The point is that in Antioch, God brought together leaders who spurred the work forward. We are on mission to evangelize and edify Christians in Pretoria. God is with us. We see his hand moving among us. We hear testimonies of the lost saved. We see his hand as he brings gifted men and women into our midst to serve and to lead. May we in ever-increasing measure be preaching, be encouraging, and be a teaching church. We are on a mission to evangelize and edify Christians in Pretoria. May God help us in this task. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we acknowledge as a people this morning that you truly are great and without any equal. Our desire, Lord God, is to worship you with holy hands lifted high, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Our desire, Lord God, is to proclaim your word in our city. And Father, we desire to see Pretoria saved. People we love are in the city. Lord, would you make it so? Lord, would you use us as instruments? Might we pool our gifts and our talents? Might we pool our leadership? Might we pool uh, the, the, the excellencies which you have given us here in this place? That, that your word might resound out from Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. Father God, we desire to be instruments in your hand, that we might see your hand move in our midst and give you praise and glory amongst those whom you are bringing in. Might we hear of more salvation testimonies in this place. Might we see more baptisms in this font. Lord God, glorify yourself in this place that we might be a city on a hill whose light cannot be hid. Do this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Do this by the power of your Holy Spirit living within us that you might receive much glory and praise. All these things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.